Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast. We are the Sunderland Echo, bringing you all things SEFC. I'm your host today, James Copley, and I'm joined by Phil Smith and Joe Nicholson. How are you both doing, gents? Very good, thanks. Very good. Looking forward to the last week of the season, or hopefully more to come. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully more to come. You'll, uh, you'll upset people. Um, we'll jump straight into it. Cambridge United at home, 5-1 win for Sunderland. Big win at a crucial time, given results elsewhere, which we'll touch on a bit later. Uh, Phil Sunderland dominated. There was the red card decision, though, which came pretty early on in the first half. At the time, it was nil-nil. Um, interesting comments from both Alex Neil and Cambridge manager Mark Bonner after the game. What did you make of it? Because um, it sort of falls under that double jeopardy category, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure the rules are particularly clear, to be honest. I thought it was a harsh red. Um, you know, My understanding of the rules was that you can only be sent off um, having given a penalty away if you've made no attempt to play the ball. Um, I thought that was quite a bold decision to make, given that I don't think the defender had seen Stewart. I think he'd made an attempt to go for the ball. And I think Stewart just showed you know, the kind of centre-forward play, you know, why we all rate him so highly and getting himself between the defender and the ball. Um, but it was a clear penalty. Um, and for all, you know, the red card obviously has a big impact on the game. That's obvious. I actually thought from minute one, I thought Sunderland were all over Cambridge, to be honest. I thought you could see from the start, every player pretty much was at it. And I think you could see that the game plan was spot on. Cambridge looked like they were going to do things a bit differently to some of the teams you've seen in the stadium tonight. They were certainly a lot higher up the pitch. Um, and Sunderland looked well-placed to exploit that. So, for all, you know, it was a, an important moment in the game and a controversial one, I suppose. I have to say that, even if you're being given a yellow card, you know, with some then having the penalty, I, f- I felt pretty good about where they were at in the game. And I think even the Cambridge manager, for all he felt it was harsh, you know, he conceded that Sunderland played very, very well. And he felt that before the game, he felt they were going to cause cause Cambridge problems. And, and that was already happening even before the red. Yeah, I felt like that, although you don't know for, for sure, obviously, but I feel like the, the red card probably changed the scoreline, but not the result. Joe, what did, what did you make of, of, of the game and, and that particular red card as well because as Phil says Sunderland were, were pretty dominant from the opening minute and <clears throat> Cambridge did come and try and play which probably played into Sunderland's hands a little bit. Yeah obviously the red card uh, had a huge impact on the game but we've seen before even this season away at Shrewsbury that Sunderland were a goal up against 10 men and they couldn't see the job out so credit to them for completely dominating the match. I mean the red card the ball kind of hit hit a divot. Um, I think the the defender was going for the ball and then when it bounced on the ground, it kind of changed the direction. So he was kind of, did have eyes on the ball and that changed the direction he clattered into to Stewart. So I think most people agree that it was a penalty, but the red card was was very harsh and it changed the kind of course of the game. Sunderland very dominant. Cambridge didn't offer much going forward. It was a bold selection from Alex Neal, as he kind of alluded to after the match, playing with kind of the back three and wingbacks, but the two wingbacks in Gooch and Roberts were essentially playing as wingers. And with the red card as well, that kind of meant they didn't have much defending to do and could just kind of stay camped in the Cambridge half. Gooch in particular, I thought was excellent. Probably the man of the match. I think a lot of people thought after the game, I think he delivered about 18 crosses into the box. And that was the plan before the game. I spoke to Ross Stewart after the game and he was saying that the plan was to get the ball out wide, to get the ball into the box. And Gooch in particular had a lot of space on the right. And we've seen Stewart, um, he'd gone eight games without a goal, two goals for him against... Um, against Cambridge and he could have had even more and a lot of the, the kind of deliveries were coming from Gooch on that right-hand side. So that was clearly a tactic that Alex Neal had worked on before the game and it worked very well. 
Absolutely. We are recording this podcast live on Twitter and Facebook. So if you have any comments or questions for myself, Joe or Phil, please do drop them in and we'll endeavour to get to them throughout the podcast. Uh, Phil, Joe mentioned Lyndon Gooch's sensational game um, from the American. It didn't feel like he could miss with a cross. Everyone seemed to be to be bang on the money. Um, again, we have to mention playing against Tenmeni. He probably had a little bit more room, but take nothing away from him. It was a sensational display from a player as well who has received criticism and probably hasn't had it easy at times this season, thinking of the, the Lincoln game. I was in the East stand for that and some of the stick he got was a bit over the top in my view, even though he, he was poor, but some of the some of the comments I heard from, from that stand last night weren't great and I, I felt for him at the time. So it's nice to see him bounce back because I think sometimes, and in, in Sunderland are guilty of this as well, Sunderland fans as well as all fans up and down the country, we tend to be harshest on our own and it's uh, it's good to see him bounce back. Yeah, well, I think there's been a, you know, I spoke to Lyndon last week and he was very honest in saying it's been a difficult season for him. And I think that sometimes it's easy to forget with Lyndon that he's a he's a number 10, you know, in terms of the position he, he grew up playing. He's a player who wants to see, um, he wants to get close to the striker, he wants to feed off the striker, he wants to get shots in on goal, he wants to break into the box. And actually, if you think about probably the best spell of football we've seen from Lyndon Gooch at Sunderland, it was that, you know, three four three under Phil Partinson, where he was playing off Charlie White and he was getting a lot of joy. You know, if you think for the last 12, 18 months, the reality is because of Sunderland's recruitment and because of injuries, he's been asked to play at wing back slash full back a huge amount. And it's just natural that you're not going to get the same level of goals and assists from him in those positions. He's probably been a victim of his own um, dedication and commitment and willingness to track back, if you like, because he's always the player who's asked to drop in that position when someone's injured. Now, that's not saying that he's, you know, his own levels have, have always been up there because clearly he's had some difficult games along the way. But what we saw on Saturday, I think, was that because of the the red card, he was able to get much higher up the pitch much earlier. Um, and you could see his confidence just sort of grow as the game went on. So pleased for him to show that, he, you know, that attacking quality. Um, obviously, a really interesting one in terms of his contract and both himself and the club are going to have a big decision be- between now and the end of the season. But it's no coincidence that when Sunderland get a difficult injury or when they kind of um, when they lose players in areas where you need a lot of graft and you need someone who's willing to almost sacrifice themselves to the team you know we've now seen the succession of managers not just Alex Neil Tentagic because you know you're going to get 100% from him um, and yes the end product can be a little bit inconsistent at times but you know Saturday was superb and hopefully you can take a bit of confidence into the into the closing stage of the season from that yeah, indeed. He possesses real quality for Sunderland and at times match-winning quality as well. Um, Phil mentioned in there, Joe, that Lyndon Gooch's contract is up at the end of the season. We've seen, you know, with Denver Hume before, <clears throat> this sort of thing drag out. It would be nice if if, it, if it's done nice and early in the summer, regardless of, of what um, of what division they're in. Because I think Lyndon Gooch could be a, a player for Sunderland in the Championship, certainly, um, as part of a squad. What's your gut feeling on the outcome of um, of those particular discussions? Obviously, you know, the caveat of which which division Sunderland will be in is, is quite important, I'm guessing. Yeah, he's a player, obviously. We've, we've seen the quality he possesses. I mean, I remember the first game of the season at home to Wigan. I thought he was man of the match then. And then since then, he's, he's kind of had a stop-start season. He's played in different positions and it's not quite gone as he would probably have hoped for. Um, and then on Saturday, probably his best performance of the season again. So we've seen he's got that quality that you think if Sunderland did go up to the championship, he could make the step up. Um, and I think, what is he, only 26, 27? So he's still kind of 
should have a lot of football left ahead of him. Um, very versatile player, very durable, um, although he has had a couple of injuries. So it's a difficult one. There's def definitely a lot of factors at play with the division that Sunderland are in, um, kind of where he sees his future. But as Phil kind of alluded to before, you know you're going to get 100% from him um, and he'll give his all, um, which should be the case. But uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. But yeah, a lot of factors at play. Yeah, still only 26, Joe, is Lyndon Gooch, and he's played over 220 uh, first-class games in his, his career so far, so he's he should be, in theory, um, coming into his prime. Other attackers that did well, Phil, Nathan Broadhead, um, I thought was exceptional, and Ross Stewart as well, of course, back in the goals with a brace and, and still League One's top scorer after, after uh, I think it was eight games without a goal, but... Interesting, Alex Neal's comments after the game that it wasn't something they were really focusing on, and the, the pressure doesn't seem to be on Ross Stewart in terms of goal scoring at Sunderland anymore. Well, I think the Broadhead's massive in that sense. I think that when Broadhead plays, it's sort of natural that Stewart tends to come a little bit deeper, he tends to drift into the channels a little bit more, and he gets more involved in the sort of link-up play um, than he does when he leads the line on his own. When you know he's very much focused on trying to stretch the game, trying to run into the channels, get beyond. Um, so although ideally, you know, you never want a striker to be on eight games without a goal, I don't feel like it was a major issue in the way it would have been if he'd gone on that drought at the start of the season. Because I think with Broadhead in the team, you know, he, his record was such that someone weren't necessarily losing goals because of Stewart. It was just that they were ending up in a kind of different, um, coming from a different source. But what we did also say on Saturday, which is what Neil spoke afterwards, is that because he had, you know, Gucci on the right getting into really attacking positions and also Roberts, he switched over to the left. You know, you were seeing a lot earlier crosses coming in from, from a natural right-sided player and a left footer on the left side. And I think we did see that Stuart probably could have had another couple of goals because those crosses that sort of flash across the box at the front post, we haven't seen a huge amount of them in recent weeks. And as we discussed, you know, Gooch was getting so many of those into the game that it definitely looked like Stuart was sharper. Um, so there's definitely something for Neil to think about going forwards. But I do think that, you know, if Stuart had gone seven, eight games at the start of the season without a goal, we might have been struggling, but because of you know a lot of a lot it is, is a kind of unselfish player, and it's a lot about Nathan Broadhead as well. Indeed, uh, Ross Stewart, Joe, um, an exceptional season from him. Let's not forget he was replacing a, a thirty-five year, a thirty-five goal striker in Charlie Wyke. Um, Norwich City are rumoured to be interested in Ross Stewart as a Burnley. Um, I'm sure there's probably interest from. Two big clubs in Scotland as well, perhaps, given his, his recent call-up to the international setup. Uh, we've talked about it a million times on this podcast, but just to state again that, you know, it's probably crucial that Sunderland go up if they are to keep Ross Stewart next season. Yeah, definitely. He's definitely a player that there will be a lot of interest in if Sunderland don't go up. Um, but I think for him, I think, as I said, spoke to him after the game, very level-headed character. He was aware that he'd gone eight games without a goal, but wasn't really dwelling on it. Said kind of... Um, the main thing was the team were winning. Um, he's happy to do a job for the team, whether it's broadhead plays, he's happy to to maybe make more runs into the channel or, or drop a little bit deeper. Um, but just comes across as a very kind of focused character who's very motivated. He's, he's had a very good season. He said kind of um, what he got named in the League One team of the season, didn't he? And he's, he's up there at the top of the goal scoring chart. So it's, it's been a great Absolutely. season. It's been a great season. And um, what we've seen, as you said before, replacing the goals from, from Charlie White. I mean, Charlie White's not really, his name's not really been mentioned much all season, which is to replace those goals. And he also offers kind of that aerial threat. He does run into the channel. You could see he was lacking a bit of confidence, I think, in the last kind of eight games when he did go with that run without a goal. But his, his second goal on um, on Saturday, 
that was kind of what we saw Ross Stewart at his best from earlier in the season where he kind of took the ball down, swiveled away and, and fired the ball into the bottom of the net. So that's a really encouraging sign coming at, up to a crucial stage of the season where they're going to need Ross Stewart firing. Absolutely. Friend of the show, Dave Spencer, who always posts a comment which we appreciate. He says, Shuley Gooch deserves a new deal. He shut uh, a lot of mourners up yesterday. One small negative, Phil. Uh, Carl Winchester hobbling off with a groin injury in the first half. Um, yeah, talk talk us through that and, and Alex Neal's initial prognosis. Yeah, I don't think it was a small negative at all. I think it was a pretty pretty significant negative, really. Um, obviously, some of them don't know how serious his, his groin issue is, but you know you could tell from Winchester's reaction when he was coming off the pitch that you know he knew something was up. And, and I think Winchester, we've seen over the course of eighteen months he's been at the club, if he can play, he'll play. So that tells you there's definitely an issue there. Obviously, we can't say for sure because we don't know, but you think it makes him playing tomorrow night and even at the weekend, very unlikely. And we also know that Dennis Serkin's not going to play this week. Alex Neal's hopeful that, you know, if Sunderland got into the playoffs, he'd be able to come back. And that leaves Sunderland really, really, really short in those sort of um, fullback areas yet again. It's something, you know, we've obviously talked a lot about over the last few months. And, you know, one of Alex Neal's best achievements since he came in, he's been able to improve the defence, even though, you know, he's had a lot of um, injuries on top of the shortage of personnel that we've already discussed off the back of the January window. So, you know, I think that's a big challenge. You've obviously got Callum Doyle there, who we know is a really good player, um, really good at coming out with the ball, brilliant in the first half of the season. Um, and I'm sure he can come into the side without any major issues. But then obviously it gives Neil a dilemma because against a side like Rotherham with all the attack and threat they've got, do you want to play Roberts and Doyle? Um, you know, in terms of against the the threat that Rotherham have got, or do you need to move somebody a little bit more defensive over there to help Doyle out? You know, whether that be Luke or Nine, whether it be Lyndon Gooch. So, yeah, I do feel that was, you know, in combination with losing Sirkin the day before, you know, that's a big issue for Neil to manage um, this week. And he'll definitely have to change something from what he did on Saturday. And hopefully both will be back for a playoff campaign because, you know, if you look at, there's a reason why they've played pretty much every game since Neil came in. They've been super consistent for him. They've added a bit of pace in the back line, which was a big issue earlier in the season. And their consistency is covered up for some big gaps in terms of the business Sunderland have done over the last two windows. So, yeah, it was a great day on Saturday. The two, you know, sort of slight drawbacks were one results went okay, but not brilliantly in terms of elsewhere, and the other one was those two injuries, which you know is a big, big issue for Neil to manage. Indeed, I thought Callum Doyle coming on though, I thought he he played quite well to be honest. I think it was refreshing um, for him to have that have that break. He played a lot of football, looked magnificent in the early part of the season. Then I think the season started to really get on top of him. Sunderland were experiencing issues, and he was you know quite a young player. But it was I think it was good to to see him come back in. Obviously, the caveat of that is he's playing as part of a a back three or a back five against ten men. But he could be a, an important player for Sunderland. Um, Joe, Alex Pritchard uh, returning in the second half. We're talking about injuries to, to Sergan and, and Winchester being negatives there. But if Sunderland are to get into the playoffs and they are to you know compete in the playoffs, you would think and you would hope that Alex Pritchard will have an opportunity to to contribute for Sunderland because he's shown over the course of this season that you know he can really do the business in this division. Yeah, definitely. We've, we've seen his quality this season. Pritchard, I think it's 10 assists and, and four goals and we've seen him get better. We saw him struggle at the start of the season, didn't we? we he had COVID in pre-season and that meant he was kind of getting up to speed. But uh, when he got into his stride around uh, kind of Christmas time, he was 
I thought he was the best playmaker in League One from what I've seen. I'm really impressed with him. Obviously, he'd been out from the last three games before Saturday, but results-wise, although they kind of maybe missed him at Plymouth, Sunderland had still been winning games, even though it had been kind of with a couple of last-minute goals. And been an interesting dilemma moving forward now because I thought Elliot Embleton was excellent again on, on Saturday, albeit in a deeper role. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Neil does there with um, with Embleton playing slightly deeper. Could he do that against Rotherham or would he bring Jamie Tete back into the side to play alongside Corey Evans to maybe give him a bit more defensive security? Um, and then would Embleton move further forward because the kind of Embleton stats recently, um, looking at since he came on against uh, Gillingham and provided that assist for Broadhead, uh, I make it that he's got a goal or assist. Um, everything is 64 minutes on average. Um, so really hard to leave a player like that out. But then when you've got Alex Pritchard coming back as well, um, you've got Patrick Roberts played well on uh, on Saturday and Lyndon Gooch on the other side. So there is definitely competition for places in those attacking positions, um, even if they've kind of been weakened a little bit defensively with those in- injuries to Sirkin and, uh, and Winchester. So it'll be interesting to see what he does uh, against Rotherham on Tuesday. Should mention Elliot Ambledon, actually, who scored a, a stunning goal for Sunderland, curling it in from from almost the corner flag from a a free kick. I dared to um, ask aloud if Ambledon meant that and was quickly shot down on social media by Phil. Phil, you were you're adamant that um, he meant to stick that one in, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at his set piece record and some of the goals he scored over a long period of time, he certainly got that in him. What you would say is that regardless of whether he got a bit lucky or not from that angle, all you can do is get the right pace on the ball and put it in a dangerous area, which he certainly did. Um, but yeah, I think really that was just the sort of um, tip the iceberg in his performance, wasn't it? He, he constantly dictated. The game obviously suited him. He had so much space after the red card in which to operate. He had time to sort of pick his passes. Um, you know, and it, and it is timely because we've talked there about the selection dilemma in terms of bringing Pritchard back. But if we're honest, you know, Pritchard's played now, I think it's something like 90 minutes of football in about seven weeks. So he's not going to play 90 minutes three times in a week. Um, you know, he, he is naturally fit. And I'm sure if we're looking at the playoffs, he can get up to speed. But he's not going to come in and play 90 minutes tomorrow and 90 minutes in Morecambe, I strongly suspect. So it's really good to be able to deploy him a little bit more selectively because you've got those forward players in really good form. And I do think Embleton's... We're seeing him really grow in stature at the moment. It's not just that little bit of quality that we all know he's got. He's, he's starting to control games as well. So, yeah, that's a really nice, you know, really nice dilemma for Neil to have because a few weeks ago we were talking about Pritchard is, is absolutely crucial. And, of course, he still is. Um, and definitely he's got a big role to play. But it, it's nice that it feels as if Sunderland have got creativity in other areas of the pitch now as well. Yeah, Elliot Ambleton, a man who has experience of going up through the playoffs as well with Blackpool last season. Tom Gardner on Facebook, uh, in reference to the earlier half debate, says, to be fair, Winchester isn't confident on his left side, which I think contributed to his injury. Uh, Doyle gave the side uh, a better balance playing on the left. We will move on now to the to the League One um, table and playoff picture. The results of the weekend, so Plymouth drew 1-1 with Wigan, uh, Rotherham 2-1 winners against Oxford United. MK Dons run out 2-0 victors over Morecambe and in a, a really big game, Wickham won 1-0 against Sheffield Wednesday. That meant that Sunderland moved up to fourth um, on goals scored. They are level on goal difference with Plymouth but are above um, Argyle. Uh, by virtue of goals scored, it is very tight and congested uh, with two games left to play. Obviously, Rotherham on Tuesday 
and the last game of the season uh, on the following Saturday. A minor frustration from Alex Neil post-match uh, Phil was he, he sort of um, remarked that you know Sunderland's form has been excellent, but they haven't really gone anywhere in the in the League One table, and it's um, you know what was it three or four four teams on or five teams on eighty points at the moment? It's it's almost unheard of. Yeah, and I think that you know, as I alluded to before, the two the two sort of disappointments from Saturday, were, as we said, the injuries and and two, it wasn't a bad set of results by any stretch of the imagination. Sunderland are certainly in a stronger position than they were before Saturday's game, but clearly it you know it looks very likely now that it'll go at the final day of the season. You have to you know maybe Fleetwood can spring a shock against Sheffield Wednesday tomorrow night, but you have to kind of from a Sunderland perspective, you have to assume that Sheffield will go and get the job done, and, and that makes it important that. Something don't slip up. So, yeah, it's listen. It, it's going to be the most sort of competitive race for top six in the twenty first century in League One. I think it's something like two thousand and two was the last time you needed eighty points um, to get into the playoffs, and it looks like you're going to need even more this year. Um, so it, it's it's incredibly competitive. It's going to be the same next year because I don't think the division's going to get any weaker. I think your know, Mark Bonner spoke after the game, didn't he? In terms of you can see now that League One's almost split into two and there's a huge gap between the top half and the bottom half in terms of the stature of clubs the resources of clubs and if you look at it next year I know there's a lot of uncertainties about Derby but you know they, they've had a brilliant season all things considered under Wayne Rooney you know Peterborough Barnsley we know they're going to be right up there Oxford and Ipswich they're not going to be going anywhere so I think this is just the new reality for the next couple of years I think you're going to see the gap between the top half of League One and the bottom half of League One get even bigger I don't think it's going to be any easier to get promoted next year. So fingers crossed, Sunderland can sort of get the job done at the fourth time of asking. It is an absolute nightmare of a division. I remember looking looking at the the um, the twenty four teams at the beginning of the season, and you could make obviously most a lot of them have fallen off, but you could reasonably make a case for you know fifteen or sixteen competing for those for those top six places. It's um, yeah, it's a crazy division. Joe Sunderland actually unbelievably still have a. Very small outside shot of of going up through um going up through the automatics. It's not going to happen, is it? A very outside, yeah. I think they'd have to thump Rotherham about four yeah. 0 and then they'd have to win, and Rotherham would have to lose on the last day, and MK Dons would have to lose. So, you never know. Do you remember that? Um, was it when Nottingham Forest slipped out of the playoffs a couple of seasons ago? Yeah, yeah. And there was like a six goal swing, so you never know. But uh, yeah, I think. Um, Sunderland just got to hope to, to secure a playoff spot, and they've actually got to be a bit careful on um, on Tuesday that they don't lose by more than one goal because goal difference could come into it. Um, and winning five one on Saturday was actually quite significant for them because they moved about they moved up two places on goal difference ahead of Plymouth and and Wickham. Um, so I'm just looking at the goal difference now. Sunderland have a goal difference of twenty five, Plymouth on twenty five as a goal difference, both on eighty points. And Wickham's goal difference is 23. So if Sunderland did lose to Rotherham by more than one goal, um, they could even drop down the table with with Sheffield Wednesday in action as well. So I'd kind of say the Rotherham game is, is more of a must-not-lose rather than, than must-win because then it would mean that having to beat Morecambe on the, on the last day is kind of in their hands. So still a lot could happen, but it's just crazy that Sunderland could even win on Tuesday, be on 83 points and still not be guaranteed of, of finishing the playoffs. It just shows how competitive the division has been. Indeed, get me out of this godforsaken league. Uh, um, Rotherham United fill on Tuesday. Stadium lights, seven forty-five. Kickoff under the lights should be a good atmosphere. 
Rotherham, of course, hammered Sunderland earlier on in the season. That was a result which really counted against Lee Johnson um, come the end of his reign. Obviously, some uh, defeats by wide margins. Um, but Sunderland are a different proposition now. And indeed, Rotherham have, have, um, have maybe slipped off a little bit from, from that day. Uh, Rotherham favourites to secure a second position. They have a game in hand over MK Dons, uh, but are on the same points. This makes... Tuesday, uh, a really important game for both sides, and there's something riding on it. Yeah, and we've got to take, you know, the yes, Rotherham's form slipped from where they were earlier in the season. We've got to take that with a bit of pinch of salt. They've beaten Oxford on Saturday and they beat Ipswich Town, who who had been in outstanding form. Um, I think that was two games ago. So, you know, I think we can't get carried away with the idea that Rotherham are sort of um, their confidence is shot and they're, they're not capable of producing a result in the performance because they very clearly are. Um, so Sunderland will have to be at their best with this one. I think that obviously you have a bit more confidence than you had earlier in the season in the sense that Sunderland obviously played some outstanding attacking football through the first months of the season, but we did see them really struggle defensively against aggressive, sort of imposing physical sides. And Rotherham, to their credit, they're absolutely that. Their work rate's terrific. They press you from the front and they get balls in your box. What we've seen from Alex Neal is that he's been able to correct Sunderland's weaknesses um, in dealing with that quite considerably. Um, and it was nice to see Danny Bart play well again on Saturday, albeit he didn't have much to do because I think he could be really important alongside Bailey Wright and doing that again. Um, so you do feel a lot, feel like Sunderland are a lot better equipped now to deal with these sorts of challenges than they were you know, when they faced Rotherham away from home earlier in the season. But you know, I, I don't see this, I see this being a very, very, very tight, tense game at, at, at fine margins because for all Rotherham, maybe aren't quite in the form that they were earlier in the season. They're still at this level that they're forced to be reckoned with. So I'm predicting a very, very nervy two hours for all of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Joe, what, uh, what are your thoughts ahead of a game? A big one at the Stadium of Light and obviously Sunderland, as ever, will have a, a fairly decent crowd for League One, which you would hope would hopefully manage to get them over the line in, in some capacity. But as you said, it's, um, it's a must-not-lose, isn't it? Yeah, tough game. Um, and when I was looking at kind of potential playoff points as well, I, I'm wouldn't have really wanted Sunderland to play Rotherham in the, in the playoffs because just you just think back to that 5-1 game where they were just completely outplayed, outfought. Um, and I said at the start of the season, Rotherham, I thought, was were the team to beat. You know, you know what you're going to get from from the manager, from their team. Um, they've been promoted from this league two seasons ago and, sh- and shouldn't have really got relegated from the championship. I think really last season they were a mid-table championship team that ended up going down. This season, they've shown that they're kind of one, you know, one of the best teams in League One, although they have been on a, a really sticky run recently. I, I'm just looking back at where they were in the table. At the end of February, they were nine points ahead of MK Dons with a game in hand. And they've been reeled back in and it's now not guaranteed that they'll they'll go up. So they did look like certainties for automatic promotion. Now it looks like they've kind of got things back on track, winning two of the last three games. So going to be, again, a really tough game. They've got one of the um, top strikers in the division in Michael Smith. Although Sunderland have another one of the best strikers in, in Ross Stewart. So, yeah, really tough game, tough battle. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens on Tuesday. And another one of the best strikers in Nathan Broadhead as well. Um, you can head over to the Sunderland Echo website uh, for premium content. You can also get an ad light experience. Um, and there is now the option to go totally ad free. And if you like what we do with the Raw podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes because it helps us reach more people. Um, Phil, just on that note, uh, what sort of content will, will you have about Sunderland on the website before the game uh, tomorrow against Rotherham? 
I'll probably have some stuff about the Rotherham match, I would imagine. <laughs> I need specifics. <laughs> Sell it to yeah, me. well, well, well I, there's a bit more on Alex Neil talking about Ross Stewart, as we dis- discussed earlier in the podcast. Um, I've also had a look at the, you know, Callum Doyle coming back into the side and, and how Neil might look to set up, given the strengths that Rotherham have that we've talked about as well. Um, and as per, you'll have some some Alex Neil preview stuff in the morning as well, sort of talking about how he's enjoying life at Sunderland and looking ahead to a huge week as well. So, yeah, plenty of Rotherham match preview stuff, as I suspect people would would be expecting. Excellent, Phil. That's all I wanted from you. Quickly, we'll just answer a question from Simon on the Facebook. We'll direct this at Joe, then we'll go to you, Phil. What sort of team would you play tomorrow night? Would you would you go and change? Obviously, there's the injury to uh, Winchester that we know about, but would you would you change it from that team that ended the game against Cambridge? Tricky one. Um, I think you'll stick with the same formation because Rotherham play with, with a back three and wing back. So, probably be the same kind of back three that finished the game. Obviously, Patterson in goal, Doyle. Bart, right. Um, I think you might. Wimbledon, can you? Can't really drop. I think Matete might come back in alongside Evans. Maybe move Hamilton further forward. Um, Broadhead and Stewart, obviously up front. Gooch, hard to drop a wing back. And left wing back. Would he play Roberts there? Would he bring Jack Clark back in? Maybe even no nine could play there. It'd be, be interesting. Phil, Alex Neil does like to spring a surprise on occasion. What, what are you predicting? Yeah, we can't predict his teams. We've seen that um, <laughs> over. I don't think he's picked the same team twice um, since he took over. So that tells you. I, I do. I do wonder if playing somebody like Online at left wing back might be an option, just in terms of giving Doyle that. Listen, I think Doyle's an excellent player, but I just think you know it would be very, very difficult. I think to defend against Rotherham with with Roberts as your wing back. Um, I'll be. It'll give you a lot going forward. So I do just wonder if you know could he move Online across to there bring Matete in or Dan Neal in and push Embleton further forward. I think that's definitely going to be an option, isn't it? I do think he'll play with the same shape um, for the reasons that Joe outlined. So, yeah, I'm expecting one or two changes, possibly a change in that, like I say, that left wing back role. Um, but, I mean, Alex Neal, who knows? He'll, he'll have The one thing you can be sure is that he'll have done his prep um, yes. and, and he'll have something up his sleeve. Whether it works or not will, you know, remains to be seen, but... You have to say that given his record so far, you tend to have a bit of confidence in him in him having the right sort of game plan. Well, given Alex Neil's unpredictability, we at the Echo usually try and predict his starting 11s over on the website, and they're always nearly wrong, but just uh, keep keep an eye out for them if if you want a laugh <laughs> come, uh, come the team news being announced at, um, <laughs> at quarter seven, whatever it is. Well, that just uh, brings about uh, at the end to another Raw podcast for all the build-up news and injury updates ahead of Sunderland's next game against Rotherham United and Phil Smith's Rotherham United content. Please head over to the uh, Sunderland Echo website. And once again, thank you for listening.